And then my next note is, why is Koopka even trying to pick up a fork with metal I hands? know, it's like... <laughs> <laughs> ah, he's so mad, it's hilarious. He's like all frustrated, it's like, dude, what... <laughs> What did you think? Well, I was, was thinking, I was wondering. I was like, who who was this guy that picked him up and carried him away? Is it somebody who could literally regrow hands, or is there a mechanical function? Like, no, they're just there's, rocks. I know they're just it's stone. just metal hands. There's oh, it's there's metal. no okay. there's no yeah, like you're saying, any there's no kind dexterity. of mechanic inside that bends them yeah. or anything. And he's just literally smashing a table, hoping a fork will go into the hand. Like. Welcome back to the State of the Ark podcast. My name is Mike. My name's Kason. Uh, this is Final Fantasy 16, and we left off after the first fight with uh, Hugo Kupka. His hands got cut off. Yeah. He got there's brilliant deduction skills by Vivian Nine Tails <laughs> about how they took him back. <laughs> yeah, they wouldn't have sailed around. They would have gone through the desert, right? Yeah, this is really, really, really astute observations by her. Yes, very much so. And, uh, so my next note here was that um, I can't be the only one who was confused by this character, Mid. Yeah. Who seemed to suddenly appear in the story. Um, now, yeah. I expressed this on Twitter and I was... Uh, pretty surprised by like the strength at which people came back at me for this sentiment. I was just like genuinely like, wait, did I miss something? Who is this character? Yeah. Where did she come from? And people were like, oh, I bet you aren't doing the side quest. Tell me you're not doing the side quest without, tell me you're not. Anyway, everyone just like started being like really like <laughs> condescending about it. And I was like, dude, I just asked, what did I miss? <laughs> That's it. Uh, so apparently there's a side quest. Well, I, I've done all the side quests, which is why I yeah. was so confused. I don't know if you did this one. It was um, you, you go try to retrieve a letter to Sid uh, back at the old hideaway. And you go okay. and you find this dog that was like carrying it in its mouth. And this they don't even say her name, though. They don't say the mm. name of the character, but the, the NPC does mention at the end of the quest line that he has a daughter. And then um, Clive is like, oh, he didn't mention that he has a daughter or that's whatever. That Sid has a daughter? Yeah. But um, did you do that side quest I, I don't. It, uh, pro I probably did do it, but I don't actually <laughs> recall that either. Um, I wasn't like totally surprised. I was surprised. I was like, oh, wow, very interesting. Um, but yeah, I, I find it uh, interesting that we didn't meet her before. Yeah, so I, I was just like, okay, this seemed really abrupt, this character. It would have been interesting to have at least had that mentioned in a not-optional side quest yeah. <laughs> beforehand. But uh, Mid is Sid's daughter. She was studying at Canver, one of the, I think, the what they call the capital of the free cities. Yeah, that's right. And uh, she's returned here wants to set up shop and uh, start working on a project here. Um, this is going to lead to a bunch of smaller quests, which I think we'll probably have time to get into today. But she wants to build essentially um, like a ship with these like yes. rocket-like engines. <laughs> Once again, another awesome hint at an airship. 
Yeah. That, that is. This probably won't be an I've airship. Played It'll past be a, this. A sailing ship <laughs> with rocket engines on. It. Yeah. Um, we'll see. But I just I want to ride a ship. I, I've there have been so many hints, and uh, at the point that I've played to, we still can't play any, or sail any ships. Not quite yet. You got all the way up through Bahamut, right? I That's did. Yeah. About where I stopped too. So. Yeah. Um. Okay. So she's getting set up there. Um, I wrote here, we have a cutaway to the Crystalline Dominion. There's a scene here with Dion and the Emperor. So essentially what a lot of these like advisors are saying is that the Dalmekian government is suing for peace after Kupka's been wounded, right? So right, like they, yeah. they don't have Titan to use even as like a, as a, what would you call it? A faint or like you're, you're, you're preventative. Yeah. Well, well, you could just not, if, if it's known to the empire that Hugo is not going to show up. So therefore they can't even, uh, use that as like a strategic faint, like that we could bring Titan out. So they're basically in a position where if Bahamut were to emerge, they would just be slaughtered. So, they're basically trying to make a like a peace treaty now, and mm-hmm. uh, how should they're trying to decide how they should respond to that. So, um, some of the dialogue here: if they're willing to accept their fault in the matter, I see no reason to refuse them. Still, we must insist on substantial reparations. Twin side stores are not as bottomless as reported. This is something I was referring to earlier, where when mm-hmm. the Dalmekians were sort of deciding how they should you know, continue their siege. They kept saying, we can't outlast them. Their stores are bottomless. Like we can't, you know, but apparently that's not the case. I Mm, think if they had just held out a little longer, and that's always the risk involved with sieges. You don't know. You just don't know how long they, you know, how long you can last. Right, exactly. So you're kind of left, you know, having to guess or just like, uh, you know, try to keep your guys motivated despite the illness and the starvation and all of this that's happening so uh they're all discussing that you know we should have them empty their treasuries for us um of course none of this would have been possible without your timely intervention prince olivier so or or olivier 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 um yeah what the heck i don't know what that means does that mean olivier did something i don't know (laughs) well part of me thinks that this is just Based on what we see later, it's just, I don't know if he actually did anything or if they're just setting up for Prince Olivier to take the throne. Right. It's like clear that that's where the emperor is going with what he's doing. And so they're just trying to like. Heap praises upon yeah, him. Yeah. <laughs> even though he doesn't necessarily deserve it. Okay. <laughs> I don't know because maybe there's something written in the ATO Because we about still that, have not heard him say up. a word at this point. Olivia hasn't said a think. word. I don't. I don't think so. I don't think so. He's, he's basically he's just been like, uh, almost just absent. He's just there, but he's his mind isn't. It almost feels like he yeah. just kind of like sits there on his mom's lap and doesn't say or do anything. Yeah. yeah. So, anyway, um, without uh, he says, oh. I doubt any of us would have had the courage to trade words with the mighty Titan 
nor less the wit to win them win him over. I think what they're referring to is the fact that Annabella went to Delmicia with Prince Olivier, right, and made that deal with Kupka. Okay. Maybe she came back reporting that Olivier had basically oh, sure. solved yeah, this problem and they, they all bought that. <laughs> Even though it was her, the one that yeah, was doing yeah. it. Right? That, that's what makes sense to me. Um, <clears throat> so the emperor basically proposes in the scene that they pretend to take the offer from the Dalmatians, take all the gold for the reparations, then send Bahamut out to kill them anyways as their armies retreat. Yeah, that's pretty And uh, this sets pretty ruthless. That sets uh, Dion, Dion off a little bit. Yeah. Um, so the advisors are fearing that Titan would come out to meet Bahamut, but the Emperor says, no, he's busy engaged on the Western Front. Um, Dion expresses his concern about this and how the people would suffer if they if the two of them were to fight. Yeah. Um, there will... It's funny because the prince isn't very happy with the emperor, but the emperor is also doesn't seem very happy with the prince. Nope. Um, it's 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 very strange. This is a weird tension that you you wouldn't expect. I don't think. Yep. It's it's Annabella in yep. the background pulling the strings. Once again, <clears throat> she is. Uh, yep. Yeah. She's doing her thing. There will be losses. It is true. Yet every for every citizen who falls, another can be bred. For every home that burns, another can be built. The empire will mm. live on. I love how later on Dion uses those yeah, words to yeah. like tell him these are the words of a tyrant. Yeah, this is very good. the words of a god. <laughs> yeah, those are the words of Griga. Yeah. Uh, before he leaves, he gives this like kind of long glare to Annabella. May Griga forgive you, he says. Of, of as his he's father, walking away. As he's walking. Yeah, out. yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, go ahead. This is where I have the note of the mural on the wall, and I even got like a little screenshot of it here. But it's crazy it's, it's really awesome. cool it's straight it's up really, really cool. renaissance artwork very yeah. nice um you have goddess grieger arrayed in white with her hair flowing holding a black spear and riding a dragon and um you notice that the on top of all of the mountains uh, not all the mountains all the buildings in the emperor kind of their capital they have those huge huge spires going yep. up, pointing upwards right like a steeple but like 30 times longer right yes. like all the way up um and that's the weapon of the goddess Grieger is a spear. Uh, the people, there's a bunch of people around her. They're all looking at her as uh, they are also themselves wrapped in heavenly clouds. Um, it has a, a distinct Baroque feel to the artwork, mm. almost like the Sistine Chapel or the glory of St. Ignatius, that one. Um, it feels like Grieger is descending to the earth on top of the dragon. Um, also, it seems to me at the very bottom of the mural, you can see a few people sitting down in chairs. And it seems to me that this mural was specifically painted with the express intent of being behind the thrones. Because when, when you then have the uh, emperor and the empress and then the prince all sitting down on the thrones, it seems like they're part of this mural. Yeah. It seems like this is like the, the powers above them, right, that are descending upon them, the emperor himself, and then the people who are in charge. And that that's that they're meant to be part of the art of this image. Mm. Um, it's it's really cool. It's, it's awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah I, I absolutely loved it. As a I don't know, just like a piece of art that, that yeah. exists diegetically in the world. It's just it's really cool and it's massive too. <laughs> oh, it's huge! And I wonder who like who made this. Painted like that, it looks yeah. like an actual painting. Like somebody <laughs> somebody at Square or somewhere else actually painted this, and uh, they did a really good job. I want to know who did that. Yeah, it's awesome. Okay, so then we have um, Clive and Uncle Byron going off to 
the desert. Um, yeah. they're told oh, did we by... mention this one? The, the astrologers oh, are yes. telling the emperor right. that the stars are in agreement. The shadow of treachery hangs over Prince Dion. Yep. And then, so Annabella's tales are true. So she's been whispering doubts into his ears and manipulating the emperor from yep. the bedroom chamber or elsewhere, right, as yep. she is wont to do. Um, and it's crazy how good she is at this. Yep. Because often when somebody starts whispering and taking over, usurping power and um, kind of ruling from the shadows, um, not always, but sometimes people don't, like, listen. Like, for some reason, when she tells somebody to do something, she has tremendous sway. Mm-hmm. And she is able to get them to do exactly what she wants them to do. And she's made it very far yeah. on that. It must just be her natural charm or something. Um, but yeah, that's crazy. And then the fact that the stars, the stars were in agreement that the shadow of treachery hangs over Prince Dion. I love this because it's technically true. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. This is what's so funny about prophecies and things like that right. is if they're vague enough or if like there's two opposite ways they could be both fulfilled yeah. in, in opposite ways but like in in basically saying this to the emperor the emperor acts in a way that would You're get beyond right. to right. act treacherously true true Very if true. the emperor <laughs> anyways if he had not done what, what he you had, mean you know what i mean so it's yeah. it's 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 just funny the way that that's good they, i like that, that prophecies and things like that work out when people yeah. believe in them right right um uh okay so yeah we've got i've got byron and um yeah that's it clive going to the desert so they're told by Otto to seek out somebody named rosinia dalamil um uh, code right. name the desert hair or i guess like yep. whatever her secret name is this was a friend of sid's in the past who used to help him? They used to work together, but they had lost contact over the years. So you're supposed to go there and find her. Um, so they stop at an old trading post along the way. They go into this inn to get something to eat. This scene was actually really cool. Uh, I really, funny. really liked the I did way too. that this was like cinematically sort of executed, where yeah. you've got Joshua upstairs in yeah, a room, really close, and you've got. Clive and Byron down there, and then you have the whole conversation with the Waluders behind them. Yeah. That, and then a fight kind of starts there, and then Joshua escaping, but like leaving another feather behind. Right. And yeah. like Clive running upstairs at the end of this and seeing the carrots left over on the the plate, and knowing that Joshua had like, been there. He barely missed it. Yeah. It's just a really good scene. It's, yeah, it's, I like the way it all played out. It's executed really well, kind of from beginning to end. Yeah. Um, and it sort of passes um, point of view from one party yeah, to the other yeah. party. It's just like a really dynamic scene. I think it's I think it's done really yeah, well. Yeah, that was wonderful. Uh, Byron, though, he's just a little too... Um, loud. He doesn't know how to be discreet. <laughs> yeah, no. he's, he's royal and he lets everyone know it. And he thinks yeah. that he has some... And this happens a little bit later on as he's trying to make deals and, you know, work things out on his own. He's just trying to use his own clout to kind of, like, fix the problem. Yes. And he ends up making things worse making often. Worse. yep. Yeah, but it makes me like the character even more. Yeah, he's he's got his uh, his charm to him. Yeah, and he, he then says, as they say in the Republic, all roads lead to Drake's Fang. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, ooh, that's convenient. Yep. Um, yeah, that's... Uh, like the all, all all roads lead to Rome idea. Yep. 
so oh, yeah. also though, Joshua is coughing up blood. Yes. At the end. Now, before he was coughing, but could you tell if he there had was been coughing blood, up blood yeah. before? Okay, he was, okay. He was coughing blood before. Either way, he seems worse now than the last time. He's getting worse, and yeah. this is due to his attempt to contain um, Ultima. Yeah. And it's just like taking its toll on him over time. It's getting worse. Uh, Yote, yep. the, the companion he yeah, has with woman. him, she's con- like constantly concerned about it, and he keeps trying to like. No, we gotta we gotta keep moving. Can't rest. Can't stop. Don't have time for that. Um, anyway, I don't have much in the way of like notes on that scene, other than I just thought it was good. I liked it quite a lot. Yeah, it was very good. Um, so then we go to find Rosina Dalimil, the lady yeah, of mystery. Yeah, the, because they've got a gate closed that leads. This to becomes a theme the in this game. Yeah. I mean, is the the checkpoints and the papers, yeah. please, papers, please. Yep. Um, so anyways, we find out who this R- Rosina Dalimil lady is, and it's not a lady. So <laughs> It's a dude. Yeah, I found this out later. I went and talked to him during the course of a side quest a little bit later in the game, mm. and I don't know why they don't mention this now in the scene, the, <laughs> like part of the main quest, but if you go talk to him later, he'll say that he basically inherited the name Desert Hair and Rosina Dalamil from oh, his cool. mentor. So oh, nice. the way that Clive did with Sid. So oh, cool. Clive became oh, Sid. Oh, so that's a thing. And this guy, Lubor, became the Desert Hair. Uh, became the Desert Hair. Became, took her name, her actual name. Interesting. Rosina Dalamil. So I thought, okay, I didn't realize that. Um, yeah. I thought that he had merely. Adopted like uh, what would you call it? Just as part of his disguise, right? Yes. That nobody would expect it would be him, right? Yeah, yeah, interesting. But no, he was the actual. Huh. He's the the um, I guess the protege of Rosina Dalamil, the same way that Clive was of Sid. So it was actually his predecessor that was the real Rosina Dalamil that worked with Sid. Okay, that and makes he's, sense. He's now the one who sort of inherited her role in the city. I see. So <clears throat> anyway. Wish that they had said that in the scene itself, but um, <laughs> that would have been nice because he's not exactly as excited to help us. No, uh, we have to do a lot of stuff for him first. There's a yeah. So the the situation here in Dalamil is that like all of the crystals that are portioned for the citizens, mm-hmm. um, they're being stolen by a group of bandits, but they're not really bandits. They're soldiers they're of Walud. And then they're or, like reselling them at black yes, market prices. Yeah. Right. And so the idea is investigate this and find out what's going on. You find out, you reveal the plot, and yeah. the crystals are retaken and given back to the people. And that's more or less the quest, the idea of which is to gain the trust of Lubor so that he will help you. I think I wrote down some of his dialogue here. Um, tell me, what do you think a merchant's most is a merchant's most important commodity? Why? It's trust. Everyone knows yes, that. that. Without is true. it, that is true. you have nothing. And nothing yeah. is exactly what you have. And so for you, I too have nothing. <laughs> so you have to gain my trust before I would help you. I'm not just going to do that for no reason because you claim right. to be Sid. So this is the quest that you have to do in order to gain that trust. Um, I, I thought as a, as a sort of plot point and as a quest, it was fine. It was interesting. Um, there was just a part of me, because I had just come off the back of playing Final Fantasy XIV, oh, that okay. groaned a little bit. I think if I had not played that first, that it, it, would it, not, it wouldn't have yeah. been an issue. And okay. it's not an issue. I'm not saying it is an issue. Mm. But 
basically the entire second half of Final Fantasy fourteen is you going from place to place and the people saying, I don't trust you. Go run errands for me for five hours. Then I'll help you with the next I thing. See, okay. And then you finish that and you go to the next place. I don't trust you. Go do a bunch of errands for me. So I thought that's what this was going to be. Yeah. But I actually didn't think it ran on too long. And no, I don't think the so. The actual like story there was kind of interesting, and yeah, so yeah. It, it worked. This is the right way I feel like of going about this sort of gain my trust quest, <laughs> more so <laughs> than a lot of the FF14 Realm Reborn quests, as far as the way they were structured. But nice, gotcha. Um, okay, so we kill here. we kill all the guards, get the yeah. crystals. Um, and then we finally get to see Drake's Fang. It looks really sweet. It yes, looks really cool. It's awesome. Um, uh, and this is where my note is that I mentioned last time. Uh, Byron, <laughs> Byron is not long for this world. I just don't think so. He, I like him too much. He's too charming, but he's too careless. He's, <laughs> he's too. There, there's a lot I could say about him, but they're endearing me to him too much that it just it it is not meant to last. I don't think. Yeah. Um, there's some good dialogue between Byron and um, Clive as they separate, as yeah. Clive's going to head to the Fang and uh, Byron's going to continue on to Canver. Um, so he says, I retreat. He, he's basically apologizing for having done nothing after Rosaria fell and his brother was killed and all right, this stuff. Right, he just kind of laid low. He says, I retreated to my counting house and danced attendance upon the vice reign in hope it would bring me favor. That was her title that I was trying to think of that other time. Oh, that's right. Vice reign. <laughs> Annabella's title. I betrayed my nation to save my skin like the coward I am, and I am sorry. It's not too late. Clive Rosaria is yours by right, and there are those who would help you take it back. Had I the courage of my brother, I might already have done so. But that ship has sailed. You... However, he's like, no, forgive me, I cannot. I, I fight yeah. to build a new world now, a better world where men can live and die on their own terms. So this is basically, uh, Clive is not interested in being a ruler. He's interested in bringing everyone onto an equal playing field, equality. Which, which you can do better from the shadows, influencing <laughs> things secretly than you could as a king sure. trying to be overtly tell people what to do. Sure. Yeah. Um. So if you would see me following, or you would see me following his footsteps. I guess that's another thing. Byron has some atoning to do. Sure. Oh, that's why. Just another reason why he's just not. I see. At some point, and when he when he dies, it's gonna be like, oh, I, I, you know, I let so many bad things happen that this is this is how it has to be. Right. Because there is no forgiveness. Remember. Yeah, you would see me following his footsteps. He's talking about Clive's talking about his father. That's exactly what I mean to do, not by ruling Rosaria, but by extending his ideals to the whole of the twins. Uh, though every soul in the realm may judge my actions heresy, I am certain my cause is just. Right. Um, then my next note is, why is Koopka even trying to pick up a fork with metal I bands? know, it's like... <laughs> <laughs> ah, he's so mad, it's hilarious. He's like all frustrated, it's like, dude, what... <laughs> What did you think? Well, I was, <laughs> was thinking, I was wondering. I was like, who who was this guy that picked him up and carried him away? Is it somebody who could literally regrow hands, or is there a mechanical <laughs> function? Like, no, they're just there's, rocks. I know they're just it's stone. just metal hands. There's, oh, it's there's metal. no okay. There's no yeah, like you're saying, any there's no kind dexterity. of mechanic inside that bends them yeah. or anything. And he's just literally smashing a table, hoping a fork will go into the hand. 
Like what? No, <laughs> what are you doing? He's dude? probably in denial. He's you know poor 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 Kupka. I I get it. I get it. I yeah. know that that's what he's supposed to be uh-huh. feeling. But you could do that by having him look at his hand and look at the fork and look at his hand and just smash the table. Sure. Not like. Like physically, actually making an honest attempt <laughs> to pick up a fork with oh, a geez. plate of steel. Yeah. <laughs> it's, just so, it's so dope. Thank but so he anyway. super mad. Uh, so this is where we learned that Harbard is the one who saved Kupka. Yes. And we don't, like, who's Harbard? So they veiled this person, so we didn't know who it was, and it turns out we don't know who it is. It's just, he's just now being introduced here. Yeah. Uh, oh, he was in that scene... Really early in the game, oh, where, was the, he? where where Lude and the, the Republic were like meeting as the battle was happening. Oh, that! Yeah, at the he very was, beginning, he was there. Oh shoot! He's the one who. Um, Interesting. They're like, whoa, the King of Walud, Why won't you like help us? And they turn to him, and he just sort of uh, King Walud just sort of ugh, like he doesn't really say anything. And then, and then he says, only, "You have your answer." Yeah, that you have the king's answer. That, that was, was him. that was Harbor. I yeah. did not recognize him at all. Wow, he is the like Lord Commander of the Walud Army, basically. Okay, and it seems like Ultima is exchanging words with Harbor. Yes, uh, as we see later on. So yes. Ultima is manipulating a lot of stuff because Kupka's losing it here. Yes, and and Harbor mocks him yeah. and he runs after me like trips him and he keeps demonstrating how weak he is yeah and yeah. then he's basically and then he basically plants a seed here like you know uh you could i think he says something about drinking from the heart the ether from the yeah. heart of the mother crystal to gain which, power yeah. beyond understanding yeah right yeah and that, that that this is exactly what benedicta did so right. this helped explain something i had had a question about earlier because i was like wait a minute it seemed like clive took Garuda from her and she was not able yes. to summon it anymore. Yeah, her yeah. power was gone and she was like losing it about that, right? She was freaking out. But then all of a sudden she seemed to be able to do it. And I was like, well, is that just like in desperation? No. She had apparently ingested a bunch of ether yeah. from the mother crystal and that gave her the strength to do it. Now he's basically pushing Kupka to go do the same thing. And his Because house. it turned out so well for Benedicta. I know, right? <laughs> it's like, hey, this is what Benedicta did, and then she died. You should do it too. And he's like, yeah. yes, I shall do it. And then he, you know, same thing. Yeah. So his house is basically like inside the thing. Yeah, he <laughs> built it like in the crystal. Yeah, That's he like cool. lives inside of there, which is yeah. kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, so he sends him off to go drink the ether and uh, become Titan. Yep. Um, and then Harbard is, uh, he's clearly leading him on, but then he, like you said, he turns like Mythos is here. Yeah. Very well, it shall be so. And there's just these oh, like Ultima um, thralls type enemies behind him. Mm, so right. yeah, he's, everybody in Walud seems to be on board with Ultima here. <laughs> and then people in the, Emperor, in the Empire, the Sandbrick Empire, they don't even know they don't who Ultima is. So yeah, it's like, oh, what's it's going crazy. On. Yeah. Um, okay, so then I wrote there are orcs inside of Drake's Fang. So uh, orcs, it was mentioned earlier by the King of Walud, were um, like a problem for the Waluders. So they're they're the Beastmen tribe of uh, what is their Ash? Ash is the name of their Ash, continent. Yeah. On the, the Whereas, right one, the yeah, east one. In the north, like in Rosaria, it was the goblins, and yeah. That's so right. this is the the, be- the orcs of the Beastmen tribe from Ash. 
and they had been having problems with them, like encroaching on their land. But now, orcs are inside of Drake's Fang, and so I think uh, Clive is like, wait, are the orcs part of the Waluder army now? How did that happen? Hmm. So apparently, somehow, the King of Walud has got orcs working for him, um, which is interesting. Uh, let's see. <clears throat> and then Kupka starts to like hallucinate. He sees Benedicta. Yes. He goes over. He uh, he drinks the. <laughs> it's crazy. My note here. This might be a little bit later. Um, what the heck, man? I hate the way I take notes. I'm so bad at this. Okay. <laughs> so the hooded guy shows up again right after yeah. this. So Kupka's hallucinating, and then I see. I just typed Ifrit with a with an exclamation point, and then I said, okay. So okay, here's the yes. hooded guy. Yes. Is, the sh- is this the shadow guy or is this Joshua or is this no, another this person? this is Ultima Kay. taking the form of Benedicta getting bitten by Clive. So like it shows Clive revealed as the cloaked dude and he like bites right. the neck of Benedicta. Oh, in front and, of Kupka, right? Yeah, but then he like yes. turns into Ifrit after that. So it's it's all this abstract hallucinatory And it's all from um, Kupka's perspective. Yes, okay. that's what Kupka's seeing. And and so Clive is that. looking on it and there's nothing there. So he's like, what's wrong that's with right. him? That's right. Like yeah, what yeah, yeah. is going on? What is wrong with him? Who is he even talking to? Yeah. And so this is Ultima goading him on. Uh, sh- by showing him Benedicta, who he loved, and then showing Benedicta being killed by Clive right. and Ifrit. So and that, then yeah. Kupka just, just, he just eats Crystal. He just like takes a bunch and he just like eats him. He just like, <laughs> like takes a bite. Um, I don't know why more people don't do this or would you probably die if you're a normal know. person and you just know. eat a Crystal? <laughs> I um, have no idea. Well, anyway. actually, yes, you would. Because remember when they were in... Drake's head, they were talking about the ether floods. Yeah. And they were saying oh, they, and it they, they won't bother us, but like all the soldiers and all the normal people, the miners yeah. that were in there got turned Akashic or whatever. Ah, uh, so right. if a normal person eats a crystal, they become like a monster. Yeah. They turn it, into the the, uh, the abundance of ether would like yeah, Jack. Okay, that makes sense. That yeah. makes sense. But for the for the dominance, the ether floods are not an issue. It basically would just give them more power to do their priming. Um, okay. So yeah, he, it fuels his rage. He begins to prime. Clive's like, oh crap, he's priming. Um, he tried to kill him before he primed. Yes, but he was too late. Too late. Too late. (laughs) So he starts getting that sharp headache again. Yep. He calms himself this time though. So usually he just starts screaming and going crazy like, oh, it's so painful. But he just sort of like, he takes a step back. And he's able to actually, on command this time, call Ifrit and summon him in prime when he wants to do it. And then we see that hooded man watching this from afar with a flame kind of burning his hand. It's almost like he's he's doing a gesture as if he's sort of... It it indicated to me, or it seemed, that he was sort of like... um, like making it happen, like uh, casting some kind of spell, so he's like or, orchestrating, right? But like, like that the fact that he's able to actually embody Ifrit was at least aided in part mm, by, Ultima, by Ultima. They're kind right. of watching this in the distance. Ah, that's that makes that's, sense, good. Right? That, that's good. That's um, good. So he's trying to prepare Mythos, right, to actually. Uh, be his perfect vessel or whatever, and this is all him, his doing, making that. Yeah, happen. yeah. Uh, so the battling against the other uh, 
icons is all part of that process. Right. And I would assume him the, absorbing absorbing yeah. the blessings or the, the powers. powers yeah. Right. Uh, uh, the cinematography okay. gets really good here. Yeah. There's some really cool shots because Titan is just massive. Yes. Because yeah, they're like in whatever that small chamber area where the heart of the crystal is and he yeah. just like bursts out of it as the giant titan yeah. and i really liked particularly this first phase of the fight yeah where it's like i know like ifrit had been more mobile in the last battle against typhon but not like this but this is where yeah. i feel like it's kind of finally totally opened up as far right. as um, you can dodge like you can, there's so much you can do now and yeah the mobility seems a lot a lot more enhanced yeah I, I really liked I really really liked this first phase of the boss fight underground against Titan yeah. it felt really huge um, I really felt like I was in control of the icon mm, fully yeah. for like the first time in the game um, the music was really really cool the music dude <laughs> yeah. and the music just keeps building up it's this repetitive track um, it's different. It's different from every so other song in the entire game. It's got this like uh, drum track to it too, and then it builds up to this like, it's it's just crazy. It was the most intense like. It's it's a type of music that I don't feel like I've ever heard before. Yeah. Even though it uses elements of things that I've definitely heard before, um, and it was just the right choice for this battle. Yeah. Even though it's different from everything else that we've heard, um, it was the right thing to do here. It was really really cool. Yeah. Um, also, Ifrit looks tiny. We yeah, know really how big small. Ifrit is. Yeah, mm -hmm. and the, but when we're fighting Titan, it's like, and this probably lends to the whole mobility aspect, but it's like we seem like a, just a little really dude small. attacking yeah. this huge giant. Which is really cool. Yeah, it's, it was really cool. I loved it. It's a it. really cool just way of the scale, scale. The yeah. scale of this battle is yeah. just massive. Yeah, and it, and it gets even crazier because like after yes. the first phase, you then go back up to the surface and Titan is even like bigger. Cause he, I know, he's massive. He... he well, yeah, he. I think this is where he, he eats the consumes the crystal there you go. Yeah, yeah. and just like explodes in size, right? Uh, yeah, and it so, enhances his one power, which is bigness. So <laughs> now, now he's extra, even bigger, bigger, bigger. And then we, you get these bands. You're kind of like trying to like, like surf, like on the like Tarzan yeah, surf on mm -hmm. the vines and stuff. Yes, that's exactly. That's a good way of putting it. Actually, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, this phase of the fight, the second phase, um, has a lot more like quick time events yeah and, and that jumping sort of from thing. one thing to the other yeah. and uh, you know that's the way that they i think get around the fact that it would just be really hard <laughs> or Otherwise. a lot of limitations to trying how would we actually yeah in full control get the player to get up there uh, anyway now it's i didn't fine mind the these part, so much for what it is because the the epic nature of what was happening was pretty mind-blowing. Yeah, uh, this fight was really cool. In fact, this icon fight uh, sold me on icon fights in general. I'm like, okay, I think, I bet you, I wonder if they developed something like this first to pitch of this is how the icon fights are going to be. Yeah. And it was like, oh, based on that, yes, absolutely, make a bunch of icon fights. Um, and this one... Just the scale is so big. It's so epic. Everything about it was so cool that I think this one fight alone justifies all of the icon the battles in yeah. the entire game. Mm -hmm. 
Sure. Um, it was really cool. It was really fun. Yeah, and I mean, you you get to the end of this phase, and I thought for sure it would be over at that no, point because no, it's a no. long fight. Yeah. But then it's like there's a whole third phase where they're like falling through the falling, earth and just yep. like continue to fight. Oh, I love that too. When it's like you do you you, <laughs> what what is that? Ifrit ends up getting these like rock, oh yes. like gloves basically, yes. and they just punch each and other. then tighten, and then they're both just like <laughs> like oh man, oh my goodness, it's so funny. It, it it's, but it, it's it was very so good though. It Dragon was just so Ball-Z. cool. It was it was because the power just the power level kept upping and upping and one upping and overdoing itself. Um, and my thought by the end of this was like that was a roller coaster. Yeah, that was really fun. And uh, that should have been the demo. <laughs> <laughs> the Titan battle. <laughs> I, I don't know. It probably wouldn't have given people the best idea of what this game is. Um, but that was so exciting. I just couldn't believe it. It was wonderful. Yep. And uh, you finally finish off Hugo Kupka, which was a big. It's just a big like sense of relief after what he had done to the old hideout and yeah. like all the pain he had caused for all the right, people there. This yeah, is a big yeah. like weight off their shoulders to be able to go back and tell them this. So the next phase of the game is basically kind of a big um, sort of rest from that. Like right. as, as you go and do errands for mid and you go and yeah, you talk to Otto and other people and, and um, the game really slows down after this moment to give you a moment to, breathe and just be relieved right. that that's finally over I which think. is good from a narrative sense as well because that is how the people here feel as well as you go around and talk to people within the hideout they're all just like oh really kupka's dead yeah oh my gosh like i think it was karen karen says yeah. um like i you mean i can stop looking over my yes, shoulder every right. every 10 minutes mm-hmm. right like oh right. my gosh they've been so afraid of him he was one of the few uh, people that all that they all feared could just put an end to them at any moment. Yes. Because I'm sure that when he showed up at the hideout, they had like no warning. Yep. He would have just, because it'd taken like 12 steps and he's there, right? It's just like, <laughs> boom. And then the way he was pounding the hideout before was like, they had no warning. Um, and so the PTSD from that event would yes. just carry through for the rest of your life, I guess. Yes. Uh, but everybody is, and, and I really like that. So the character gets to feel that, the player gets to feel that, as well as uh, the narrative story kind of, um, you know, puts it at that level as well. Yeah. Uh, but before this happened, um, yeah, you got another scene with the Waluders watching from the yeah. cliff side up top. There's the line. I think this is from Ultima, and Ultima's of course just trying. I, he keeps oh. trying to merge with us, right? <clears throat> yes. Um, and it's just not. Yeah. Before we cut up to Harbord and King of Walud on the top. Yeah, yeah. There's like a moment where Clive is almost taken and in back into the Ultima world. Yeah, like facing yeah. off with Ultima. Yeah, go ahead. And then Joshua, of course, comes up again. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, but before that, um, this Ultima is just like really like, what are what's wrong with you? Like, yeah. Just let me let us become one. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> um, he he says, uh, human will is so insubstantial, it cannot exist in isolation. You mitigate its weakness by interweaving it with your consciousness. We first have to um, sever every thread of consciousness. Yeah. Um, and this is so interesting. What he's saying is that the human will only exists. Um, the human will is so weak that it only can exist by being interwoven with consciousness. And this is one of the interesting things about um, Clive becoming Ifrit and, and dealing with his shadow and dealing with maybe the more unconscious like processes of, of him, or especially when he first becomes Ifrit at the beginning. And he's like, his consciousness is somewhere else. And then his, his body is doing stuff that he doesn't want it to do. Mm. But his consciousness had to be like separated. But that, so that then just the pure will could come out, right? Mm. Uh, and that I think that's what Ultima is talking about. He's like, 
you you have to he needs to sever the thread of consciousness so that way just the raw will of of the will to power right yeah. can can manifest without this consciousness which is always connected to other people and sympathetic and wants to like be wants to up suppress like emotions and all that um he's saying we got to get rid of the conscious mind and that way the only the pure raw unconscious will which is basically just like the id can come forth and and the self-interested like will to power is all that ultima cares about and he's like so confused that clive is resisting him at all. He's like, yeah. I can give you like unlimited power. Why do you not want it? <laughs> and Clive is like, because I, you know, I have like ethics and all this stuff. <laughs> Ultima is like, what are you talking about? You mean your consciousness is so intertwined and your will is so weak that, okay, then I'll just fix that, I guess. Like he sees it as a problem to fix instead of like a meaningful situation within a social mm -hmm. group of, of, uh, of animals, of people. Yeah. Um, so anyways, that, I thought that was really good. You will accept us mythos. Uh, there's, the there's a lot of people in our um, our live chat who have been commenting on the, the, the game's pronunciation of the word mythos, that mythos. It's kind of like this why. strange mythos sort of uh, <laughs> pronunciation, but that's that's hmm. why they're, that's what he's there's calling There's probably a reason for that. I, yeah, I don't know why. <laughs> um, you were created for this purpose and you shall serve it. And then that's when Joshua comes in. Fight it, Clive. Don't yep, let him yep, in. Yep. And he says, consciousness, we see now all that stuff. He said, human will is so unsubstantial, it cannot exist in isolation. But when you come back from that little meeting with Ultima, he's got the got another feather, feather. Yep. in his hand again, right? Keeps happening, yeah. So uh, Joshua sort of pulled him back. He did, but then he was yeah. gone again. Yep. He is very <clears throat> elusive. Yep. Um, but I think this is because, and, and the reason I think Joshua was able to speak to him there is because... Ultima is currently imprisoned inside of Joshua. So mm, if of course. if Ultima was able to, it seems, almost pull Clive's consciousness into where he is, mm. which is inside of Joshua, and Joshua noticed, wait a minute, Clive's here. Hey, fight it. Don't let him do that. And so he was actually there and then was able to send, send his consciousness back out, is I, I, the way I sort of interpreted huh, what happened. Very interesting. Um, okay, so now we have Harbor. Now we have the people up, yeah, on the ledge. up on the cliff. For five years, yeah. that man lived only for revenge, clinging fast to a fiction, even as it swept him into the abyss. One cannot change one's own nature through force of will alone. Once again, the will, the will is weak. Yeah, yeah, only the Almighty can do that. Right, and this is, once again, this um, harkens to the conversation of the essence and things yes. like that. Mm -hmm. Right, you can't, but the idea is that you cannot change your nature just through like willing it yes right in part because of what ultimate said the will is too weak to just be able to do things like that right and then only the almighty can change your fate or change your nature right yeah i liked harvard's line one can no more command the power of ether by drowning in its flood than one can constrain the tides by standing in the sea very good That's very good, good. <laughs> yeah uh yeah so obviously the uh the Waluders are on the side of Ultima. They're, they're working for him. Yep. And then I, I liked the King's line as well. Oh, that the death of a mother crystal should be so beautiful. And it sort of showed that shot of the I wondered about that. Shattered. Yeah, the crystal shatters. And he says, oh, that it should be so beautiful. Um, does he want... He does, They don't want the crystals to be d disintegrated though, right? Because this almost sounded like a, a woe, like, oh, it's sad that we're losing it, but it's beautiful. Or is he happy that they're losing it and it's beautiful? I don't know. Um, 
I think tell. I, I think get a that read on the it. the Waluders who were in with Ultima are, are aware of the destruction of the crystals being part of the plan, and they're but, okay with it. Yeah, but I don't know why. Maybe they're just maybe they have to go mythos in to destroy theirs as well because theirs is the last one standing well that's how i would do it too right well if you think of this in terms of like a power something that uh, maximizes your power that helps you to gain advantage over others but also something that's bad for the world you this is the problem of denuclearization right (laughs) you give up yours first i'll be the last i'll give up mine (laughs) after you give up yours right so it's like okay we're gonna if we're gonna puppeteer clive into destroying all these crystals um destroy all of theirs first. Yeah, then ours. Th- then you can have our whatever. Yeah, if it right. must be, it must be. But don't destroy ours first because then we're screwed yeah. for in the in the interim, right? Uh, we have, um, let's see, we have Tough Ham here saying, I feel that Barnabas has this Spanish conquistador type of aesthetic. Ooh. The belts, the frilly shirt, he gives off uh, Zorro vibes. Zorro. A little nice. bit of the accent too. Feels a little oh, bit yeah. more Spanish inspired for the Waluders than... Okay, interesting. Um, yeah, like yeah. some of the other places, but um, very cool. Let's see here. This is where we cut to that potion Dion, girl. Right? Oh, the potion girl, nice. and then being shoved aside by the That's right. guy that we talked about last yeah, time. Yeah, he's like he's gonna smack her too. Yeah, and then we're we're with Dion and Terrence, so they're in a relationship together. Terrence, I would guess, is his like second in command in the dragoons, and uh, he's begging him not to summon Bahamut again unless it's absolutely necessary. Uh, right. And Dion says the Empire agreed to an armistice with the Republic, and yet the Emperor still plots its ruin. For now, the Dalmex suspect yeah. nothing, and as long as I can hold their gaze, war need not be inevitable. Hmm. So he's trying to not or hold off on doing what the Emperor <laughs> wants right, to do. Right, as long as he can. Uh, yeah. He's trying not to do that. And I remember what the Emperor had said to him before was something like, uh, oh, our people need you, or rather... Our people need Bahamut, Bahamut yeah, right? right? So he's he is merely the presence of his, like he's not himself. He is the power that he wields. Yeah, he is not like a person. Particularly to Annabella and yes, uh, and the, now the Emperor. But but in some ways he 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 he's he's proud of the role that he plays. He embraces it to some extent, and he says he has this line here: uh, "When the Sembrekians look to the heavens, the sight of Bahamut gives them hope." Yeah. Right. So he knows that he can't just like he he. He can't run away. He can't avoid his responsibility. He can't like he can't do much. He, he just has to play his role, and his role is be Bahamut. And he recognizes that there is something um, that inspires his people in him, just like being that. Even though it's a pro- he, he I'm more than just Bahamut. My dad thinks I'm just Bahamut, right? Yeah, it's right. like there's this problem here. Um, but he also recognizes like the importance of him playing that role. So he's just got this big conflict here. He wants to be Bahamut to give his people hope, but he doesn't want to be Bahamut to actually do the weapon stuff, to actually kill and fight more. Yeah. Which is crazy because he's got really good control over Bahamut. Yes. Um, he is extremely powerful, and we saw that in the Odin battle. Um, it was Odin, right? Before? Yeah, yeah. Odin and Bahamut. He, he yeah. suffers very little negative consequence from... Um, becoming in, an yeah, icon. in comparison to in comparison to yeah basically yeah. everyone else yeah, yeah very good um, which, which then, would lead me to believe he must he he, he seems younger yeah than yeah basically any of the other titan or the other icons we've seen maybe except Joshua maybe he and yeah. Joshua are a similar age you know that's true because yeah. Joshua well we'll get to this later but they 
you know, had met each other before. Right. Um, and they seemed to be when they were children. Yeah. So it leads me to believe maybe he awakened the most recently of all the current. Sure. But icons. he's also so powerful though. Like, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, but I maybe that's why it's not affecting him yet. He just hasn't used gotcha. the power of Bahamut long enough. That makes be, sense. That would make sense. Yeah. Anyway. So then a messenger shows up and is like, hey, Olivier's the new emperor. <laughs> yeah, this, this is... <laughs> I couldn't believe that when yeah, I, when I, I like, saw that. I was like, wait, what? what? This little yeah. puppet kid, we have not heard him say a word. I did not see him becoming the emperor. That was not like uh, on my bingo card, as yep. you would say. Um, yeah, because I wrote here, okay, forgive me, Terrence, would that you were my master, but alas, oh, I'll always be your humble servant. Then... Um, there is at least one small mercy. I think Terrence says this. You shall not have to do battle with Titan. And then I loved the <sighs> <Yeah>. <laughs> response from Dion. Would that I could avoid doing battle at all. There you so go. this is the type of yeah. guy that he is, right? He's actually, He wants to embrace his role, yeah. but at the same time, he also wants to change his fate. You I say. really like Dion as Me too. a character. Great character. I think he's a phenomenal character. Yeah. He's probably my favorite character in the game so far. Yeah, I like him um, a lot. He's he's a freaking dope character. Uh, and then, yeah, the messenger comes in, and he just, like, he's pissed. <laughs> I know you. We stand in the presence of the phoenix, I wrote, because this is he's he's pissed, and, like, it's at this moment that Joshua, Joshua shows up. walks into the tent. Yeah. Yep. So he's, you know, i got to go back to, uh, I think he tells them to prepare things so he can go back to the... Because um, he was commanded to stay where he's at, and he's like, yep. nope, I'm going back. Nope, nope. And that's when yeah, Joshua walks in. Uh, do I stand, or I, I know you. We stand in the presence of the Phoenix. I thought you long dead. Do I address a ghost? <laughs> <laughs> that's good. And then Joshua says, many have told me I look like one, but no, I am alive. Just. So just barely alive. I love that little hint. It, it mm. leads me to believe that hopefully soon, based on what we've played up to, they're going to re reveal how <laughs> Joshua survived. I know, that I night. know. <laughs> it's like it, we've known he's alive, but of, for the longest time, what I just want to know how. How, yeah. are, how are you alive? How is it even possible? Because there's a line that Clive says later um, at Sid's grave where he's like, not even the Phoenix can pe bring people back from the dead. Yeah, yes, that's yeah. later. Yeah, yeah. So he... He didn't die and then be reborn maybe the way that we thought. Right. He just didn't die, period. I, I wonder if that's yeah. it. Or or maybe they'll reveal something else. I don't know. But I'm I'm really curious to know how he survived. Um Yeah. Okay, so, so but also so Joshua is talking to Yote as well, I think, around this time. Yeah. And um is saying, oh, I met him once. He's a, he's a good guy. But when he says, I met him once, this would have been before he was killed as the Phoenix. Yes. We're talking when he was like nine. He met this, uh, he met Dion, right? And it's yeah. like, it's been 20 years since he met Dion. and But he still thinks that it's the same person that he had met 20, yes, years, right. 20 years ago. And he's right. He's, he's right. hoping for that, yeah. Yes. Uh, luckily, he's right, but I just I would never think that. Yeah. that like, oh, I met somebody when I was nine, and I'll bet you they're yeah, uh, they're the like same person, the same today. upstanding, you know, heart. Now, in some ways, maybe you could assume that, but like, life happens and uh, people change. Yeah. So, sure. um, Joshua sits down with Dion, and he says that he has a tale to tell. Mm -hmm. And then the screen cuts to black. I'm so mm -hmm. pissed. I hate it. <laughs> I gotta wait. I hate that. For that. <clears throat> this is so where now we're back at the hideaway. You're back at the hideaway. You do mids quests. Now, a lot of people have sort of shared their complaints about this set of quests uh, or the pacing of this section. And I get 
where they're coming from. Just because it's slow? It's it's a lot. I mean, it's a lot of things you have to do. It is, but if you're building a ship, dude, like, yeah. I'm all for it. I'm just, I've been waiting. They keep hinting <laughs> at ships, and I'm waiting, and I'm like, hey, I will build the ship for you. Just let me have a ship yes. so that I can. There, there's something I wanted to bring up briefly, though, and maybe this would be um, better brought up later on when we actually can use the airship if it ever happens. Um, but in a game with fast travel, mm. where you're just skipping around yep. everywhere, uh, is an airship even like, you know, what's the you, point? You're bringing up a philosophy, a question of game design philosophy that yeah. goes all the way back to the very first Final Fantasy game, mm-hmm. the original game. So Dragon Quest, the first Dragon Quest game, had teleport magic, yeah. essentially what we would call fast travel today, right? And uh, I think I've told the story before, but not for those who joined us recently for this podcast. Um, the reason why they decided to do an airship vehicle or just different vehicle types in Final Fantasy instead was because they had designed this whole world with all these little secrets and things to yeah. find all around, right? Particularly in areas that are impossible to reach early on in the game because you don't have a way of going across the ocean and landing there right. or, or whatever it might be, right? So the airship vehicle was used as a way for the player to move quickly between areas and avoid battles while doing so, while also being able to get a visual like gauge on the terrain that they have not yet seen. Yeah. Passing over something. Like, whoa, I haven't going, been there yet. I haven't been there yeah. yet. And that is used as an aid for exploration of all these right. areas and cool things that they hid in the world that they want you to see hmm. that you wouldn't if you just teleport over here, right? You just go from here to here. There's a whole traversal that doesn't take place where you don't get a lay of the land and right. get a sense for what's around there. And Oh, I'm curious about that. So airship, the airship vehicle, as far as its place in the annals of JRPG history mm-hmm. was the invention of Hironobu Sakaguchi in the first Final Fantasy game. Yeah. As much as that became something copied, particularly during the SNES and PlayStation era by all of them, or at least something like it as far as vehicles, uh, it, it was a huge part of encouraging exploration of the world. And so, yeah, when you're just kind of warping around to different places, um, you're just going from this map to this map to this map. And it, it's part of the reason why the Final Fantasy X, when they started really getting away from the overworld map sort of design concept, yeah. um, I felt like a lot of the sense of exploration that Final Fantasy once captured for me was sort of lost because a lot of these maps were very linear. There were there's very few branching paths yeah. that you could actually and, that, and that's not like a diss on Final Fantasy X. You can go watch our Final Fantasy X podcast. Yeah. We love yeah, the game. Love it's a game. great <laughs> game. But there this is certainly um, a sense of exploration that had been part of the series DNA from the beginning that was sort of lost there. And yeah. and that was lost in Final Fantasy thirteen. I feel like. And in this game, I feel it too. I feel like a lot of the maps, some, some of them are much bigger and, and not quite just straight linear hallways, but yeah, a lot yeah. of them are. Right. A lot of them are very, very straight forward and linear, and there's just not a lot of exploration. Um, so yeah, the fact that you bring up that point, um, what is the point of an airship when you have right. teleport magic? Well, 
that would be typically what the point would be, but that's not the way that this game world is designed. Right. So So I'm getting all excited about an airship. And then it's like, well, I, I, but I don't even know what I'm going to use it. I don't even know what the point is. You now wouldn't. I know FF10, FF12, yeah. like there is an airship. It's just not an important, like no, it's important you don't for the narrative, it. but it's not important for the game. No. Yeah, yeah. You don't actually fly it in those games. You, so it's similar. what I'm, you just what I'm excited for, warp there. I'm excited for the potential of the past, of the nostalgia of FF8 or something. Yeah. And it, this game, it can't offer me that. No. It's not going to get... I'm going to be you're, disappointed. You're not going to get that in this game. No. And, uh, well, that's just unfortunate. But, <laughs> you know, that's something that I've had to think about. Like, I want an airship. I want... Wait a second. Why? What am I even going to do with it? I can yeah. fast travel wherever I want. Right. So, yeah. Uh, I, I doubt that you'll get a controllable vehicle at any point in this game. Even right. though I know that Mid is bu- building a ship. Right? She's building a ship. She's getting me <laughs> excited, but I have to temper my expectations because it's yeah. not going to be I, what I, I don't, want it to be. I don't assume that you will actually get to sail on no, that little I world. It'll just be a couple cutscenes yeah. and yeah, yeah. Anyway, but so, I, I, I liked these quests um, because, you know, I shared a little bit about feeling a, a little disappointed in the five-year time skip and feeling like there were yeah. things happening in not even ju- not in between there but just like right after the destruction of the old hideout right that i wanted to see how did Otto and taria and some of these other people just accept clive taking on literally sid's name right and since that happened you know it, it's it's water on the bridge it happened they skipped right. that i didn't get to see it i did at least like that they give you the option here to go on quests with Otto and Taria if you so choose. I don't know who you chose because you can go with either either Otto or Gav for the first part of it to collect yeah, the Stardust. Yeah, that was fun. Dude, who'd you pick? I picked Otto. Me too. Okay, okay, yeah, because I've been with Gav on quests right, before. many times. So I, Otto, that seemed like really unique. Right? And then for the other one, you went with Jill, right? No, I went with Taria. No, I went with Jill. Oh, okay, Because I thought, I thought it was going to be like a romantic thing. I thought yeah. that they were... I didn't know where they were going because there's... FF7, and there's certain games where it's like, well, you who you oh, who you yeah. go with an, an could affect system, yeah. yeah, an affection system. Who you go with could affect, and I'm like, well, I don't want to, I don't know how they're presenting the game to me here, but if there's some hidden mechanic like that there, I would much rather point the game towards Jill than Talia. Yeah, yes. personally, um, and th- th- I had a very similar thought while I was doing this. I was thinking. Uh, from the standpoint that I don't know this character, Taria, mm-hmm. I've had basically no real conversations true, with her yeah. before. Other than her telling us, I, don't don't bother Jill, she's resting. Yeah. Like, that's our only interactions with Talia. That's basically been it. So I was like, yeah. I want to get to know this character better. Right. But if I were now actually Clive and my oh, girlfriend yeah. was standing <laughs> in the same room and they were like, do you want to go with this girl or with your girl? And right. I, you pick, that's just a bad idea. You pick Jill. That's a very bad idea. Okay. I'm going to go on and I'm going to go, you stay here, <laughs> girlfriend. I'm going to go like with this girl with this other um, similarly aged woman. Yeah. Not smart. <laughs> uh, no. But I really, so it's good well, at least we'll compare. We'll, we'll get compare to compare the scenes, the scenes then, yeah. because I'm, I'm not sure what he and Jill would have talked about. Um, so they just reminisced about the past, but okay, and made made more promises for the future. So, okay, let's start with the first one though. So I picked Otto, okay. and we went to an area near Dalamil, and you're collecting the like the black sand from there. It's called Stardust. This is yeah, something Blackthorn, right. the blacksmith, is going to use in building the parts for this the the metal for this engine or whatever. 
And Otto says, when we first met, I had you down as a spoilt little, little puppy who enjoyed nothing more than biting the hand that fed you. But five years on, you're the one doing the feeding. So thanks for proving me wrong. And uh, Clive says, you weren't wrong, but I changed, thanks to Sid and thanks to you. When I suggested taking on his name, you were the first to back me. And if you hadn't, no one else would have. I couldn't have done any of this without you, Otto. I like this interaction. I think it's good. I think it's a nice sort of heartwarming sort of conversation. I just, it leaves me wondering why did Otto, if he had this view of Clive, decide to give him a chance like when he got i just wish i could see that scene <laughs> that's true like, why, talking about something why that, did they accept hmm. clive why interesting why i would assume because sid i mean he had made some him. strides since otto would have first met him where he was freaking out in the dungeon like kill me kill me or whatever right yeah that's but right. like i don't know he wasn't there with sid and clive and 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 I guess it That's probably true. would have That's been that point. it probably would have been that Sid would have told Otto how he trusts him and sees something in him, and he, and the fact in that a, Sid went so far yeah. to try to help Clive get out of that rut, right? Hmm. I think he probably it's more of a trusting Sid in the fact that Sid saw potential in Clive than okay. really even trusting in Clive necessarily. Right, right. Probably something like that. But it would have that been nice sense. to have a scene where we get to see Otto's decision-making process there like the whole thing the whole hideout has been destroyed sid's dead it's time to you know go our own ways and and Mm. clive trying to pull everyone together and a lot of them being like no like why would we follow you and otto being the one to step forward and say i'm gonna do it because this is what sid would have wanted i knew sid and sid was preparing clive for this you know something like that i just feel like it would have been nice to have seen that scene happen but this good. is good too. Um, so we got the Stardust. Um, yes. Now we got to collect this stuff called this like pitch stuff. Like uh, okay, this is really cool. I actually like the way that Harpocrates is um, oh, kind of introduced to all of do? this. Yeah. yeah. Um, because first we could talk to him. I talked to him once to talk about Ultima, where it's like, hey, have you learned anything about Ultima? And he's like, no, I still have it, which I thought was really good because I thought for sure he was going to be like, yes, I've learned since here's it all in all these books. Uh, the fact that he comes back uh, forward and says, no, um, there is nothing about anything like what you're talking about anywhere in all of the history books that I've read, any of them. Um, that either means that this is a more recent phenomena or this is something that operates like from the deep. Mm. The deep dark shadows. Um, Harpocrates says that uh, Ultima seems like a terrible voice, a terrible force of nature beyond the ken of mortal men. So a god, in other words, right? Just like yeah. this, like force of nature that has power over what's happening here, right? Um, and but other than that, that he hasn't heard anything. That makes it way scarier. That makes it way more mysterious, mm. right? That nobody has encountered this thing before. You're basically the first, except for now, and that's why it was a little. Because you brought up to me now the stuff with Walud, that's something that wasn't in any of my notes, that, that Walud seems to be well in the know with Ultima. Yeah. Um, maybe Harpocrates just doesn't have any books from Walud. <laughs> sure. But they may have made contact a while ago, um, some of them. Could Obviously, be, yeah. everybody wouldn't know, but some of the elite people sure, over there yeah. may know about it. Uh, but uh, according to this conversation with Harpocrates, we're like the only ones in the world who've ever seen Ultima. Um, so. Yep. 
I thought that was that's absolutely fascinating. Yeah, you did a good job with that. And then and then the ship. By the way, did you get the name? Uh, oh, um, yes, the Enterprise. The Enterprise, <laughs> which is pretty good name. Uh, uh, actually, the name of an older Final Fantasy airship from I think Final Fantasy three. Oh, really? Because um, there's there's a bunch of different airships you get in that game. Because uh, there's the first one that gets destroyed, and then I uh, think it's the Enterprise, and then there's the the Dreadnought one. It's not called that though. What's the big one? The one that lets you go over mountains. I can't remember the name of it right now. Anyway, mm. there's several different vehicles, lots of different vehicles you get in Epic 3. But the Enterprise is one of them. Um, <clears throat> oh, you go on a, a mission for mid where they're trying to collect some, like, some of the material, that mysterious material that all the fallen civilization built their stuff okay, out of. Okay, so that's what the what's, moon what, the What's moon her doing. name? <laughs> No, that's before that. Oh, okay. There, there's okay. just a, a monster blocking the entrance. Oh, and it's like it. the Mike Wazowski monster, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was expecting something a lot worse. The Nautilus. She... Nautilus. Thank you, guys. Oh, the Nautilus. Nice. That was the name of the big ship in Final Fantasy. So the girl, uh, the woman, she was saying like, oh, there's a piece, all right, but don't go there. There's a horrible beast yes, guarding it. And I'm like, right. it was just a freak. It was just freaking Mike Wazowski. Just Mike Wazowski. Remember. You kill him, and then they go in and get the stuff. Now you yeah, go back, and you need the moon to... And I liked... Now, this was really good. Yeah, I liked the world building they did with this, with Harpocrates, again, describing yeah. what it is. Because he's trying to think of, like, how can we coat these engines, uh, or how can we keep them from overheating, basically? These materials are too heavy. Right. Um, and so we need something light, but we don't know of a material that's light that would be able to stand the heat. But and that's wrong, though, because she said that it runs on mithril. It's a mithril engine. Oh, yeah. And according to Bilbo Baggins, <laughs> Mithril is light as a feather, as hard as dragon scales, and can withstand great temperatures of heat. So, it's Mithril. mithril they have Mithril. They have like, just already. use it. Yeah. But I do like how this goes because Harpocrates, because I was thinking, okay, we'll just, oh, legend tells of a metal. No. Harpocrates is like, hey, she's thinking about it wrong. She's yeah. going the wrong way. We need to rethink this. It doesn't have to be a substance that we're familiar It doesn't have to be metal. Right, yeah. she's thinking of oh, I, if only I had a metal that was this had these qualities. Right, and he's saying, hey, uh, in these books, there was some, uh, and this is the what they called moon dew. It mm. was made, uh, it was like a concoction of like multiple different things. Yeah, um, that are now commonly found in the world, but once were highly sought after. Mm -hmm. This is a thing about, um, you know, uh, before what was it, like three hundred years ago, aluminum was considered more valuable than gold. Oh yeah. Um, until like the mid 1800s, somebody found a way to like, uh, and aluminum to become ubiquitous since then. Um, but um, before like 200 years ago, it was really hard to get aluminum. Yeah. And so a lot of things that were made of a precious metal were made of aluminum. And then all of a sudden after so a couple hundred years and a few um, scientific discoveries later on, aluminum's like the most ubiquitous metal around, right? You kind of joke about it, that yeah. it's like a tin can kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but it, there was once where it was, uh, it was very precious. Uh, yeah. So this kind of thing happens, that yeah. uh, once a technology advances or regresses, once things change one way or the other, uh, the materials that were once incredibly valuable become just thrown by the wayside. And so, what was it? Chocobo food? Like there, there was like it was like nuts. Like I, I didn't write down the ingredients. Yeah, there's some kind of nut you have to go pick up from the market. But yeah, and th th I think uh, who is it? Jill comments. She's like, sounds like you're just asking us to get you food. Like, are you, yeah, right. you just want to like eat while like you do the real work or shopping list? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And he's like, no, no. Once these were very difficult to gather. 
Um, but yeah, he, he says, before the dragoons tamed the worms and wyverns of the realm, nobles would dab their castle walls with this moondu in order to guard against dragon fire. Nice. So they would put it on their armor, they would put it on the castle walls. They would, yeah, so this, this was a, you know, a substance they used to basically defend themselves against the heat of the dragon fire. Nice. So if you coat your engines in this, it should have a similar effect and it should work. You don't have to worry about finding the right uh, metal or material, right? Yeah. Uh, so I chose Taria to go with me on this. Crazy. So um, what does she have to say? So uh, you're basically there. It was saying, brief. It's really I, short. You just go get. Yeah. You just go buy the stuff at a market, and then it's yeah, like, that's it. <laughs> that's basically. It. And so but she's the point is that, for these um, cutscenes. She was hoping to have restocked some of her own supplies while she was here, but her vendor is like not there at the moment. And she's not oh, going to pay okay. like the gouging prices of these other people. Yeah. And Clive says, "Well, I'll talk to Karen when we get back." Mm -hmm. And so she has like a, a almost like a flashback kind of moment where um, she says, "I came here with Sid once, shopping for supplies, just like today. And just like today, I came away empty-handed. Sid said he'd speak with Karen for me when he got back. It hasn't really been five years. I remember it like it was yesterday." Hold on, does that mean it's been five years since we met? Like, feels a lot longer. And he says, uh, it does, in a good way, of course. Thank you, Taria. For what? For everything. I just want you to know that all you've done for us and all that you still do, it's appreciated. And she says, do you think I'd stick around if it wasn't? <laughs> <laughs> but in the spirit of sharing and caring, I appreciate you too, by, uh, by the way, all of us do. So just, mm. you know, a nice moment where they yeah. share their appreciation for each other. Uh, I don't know. How does the Jill scene go in comparison? Uh, the Jill scene, it, it was good, I thought. So Jill just talks about, um, she talks about uh, the food. Uh, she bought this like bread. She bought a basket of bread while she was out. And she's like, oh, this bread's going to be so good. Uh, we When we get back to the hideout, um, we should make some soup to go with it. And we can eat soup and bread just like old times, yeah. right? And uh, Clive is, uh, she's just kind of goes on for a, a paragraph or two, just talking about, and then we can do this and that. And, um, she just seems to be excited about just being back with him in a time of relative peace compared to everything that's been going on um, and is kind of falling back into like a childish nature, right? Mm. And so she's like, oh, maybe we can go for a walk over here and do this and look at these things and eat this food. And um, she kind of, um, you know, laughs at how silly she's being. Um, but of course, Clive is just like, no, I mean, the, 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 those times will come again. You know, there will come a day where we can um, just have uh, careless um, wants and just eat bread and drink soup and, and not worry about these things. Mm. Uh, but we're going to fight until that day comes, but it's going to come, right? So he's kind of giving her a promise that all these little things that you want to do are important and we're going to get to them. You know, I think I like that better than yeah. the Taria scene. Like, the Taria scene is good just because... I had never really had a real interaction with this character otherwise. I know. But yeah, I think I funny. like Jill being inserted into that scene just to build more on the relationship they have and Me progress too. that a little further, which I think yeah. it needs. Well, exactly. But, I think so. Yeah. I, I feel like more interaction between the two of them. I don't know where the story's going to go. I don't know how it's going to end. I don't know if they are going to end up, you know, together in the end or not. Um, but it's what I want to happen <laughs> because... <laughs> You know, they've both been through a lot and, and it's obvious that they care for each other. And it's so it's so it's kind of awkward sometimes when 
uh, Clive and Jill will have these interactions where, like, for instance, once we get back to the hideaway, Jill was not present at the Kupka fight, right? Yeah, because right. she had to rest, Tarya's mm-hmm. orders. Well, once we get there, Jill then shows up and she's like, ooh, I'm all rested up and you're not going to go adventuring without me this time. Yeah. And um, Clive's like, I wouldn't dream of it, right? Yep. <laughs> Even right. though he just did it. Um, <laughs> uh, I, well, you know what he means, right? Yeah. Um, but the idea with that is that it, it's, it's awkward because they're treating each other in such a platonic way. Like yes. it's obvious that there is sexual tension and that they like each other. It has been alluded to in many scenes. Um, well, there's yet, the scene where Gav interrupts the kiss. Yes, uh, exactly. Yeah, so. Oh yeah, that's right. I don't know if we talked about that, yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, so th- it's clear that things are happening, right? Yet whenever they're talking, it's always like, oh, I really want you by my side because you're such a good fighter. And oh yeah, let's travel the world together but we're not like going to yeah. be committed to each other, you know? And it, it's, it's like, there's something missing here that Clive and Jill are trying to fit this like, um, adventurous friendship role mm. or relationship into, um, what is clearly meant to be more than that. Yeah. Right. And this is another thing that bothers me about the, the five year time skip is the relationship between Jill and Clive seems to relatively be in almost exactly the same state as it was five years ago. Yeah, that's like true. Yeah, we, yeah. we haven't, they we haven't get progressed to at see all. a progression of that. Five years I is think a that's long, my point. long freaking time. Oh, totally. Especially because, <laughs> and they hadn't destroyed another mother crystal in all that time. Yeah. You telling me there wasn't one time where they yeah. both just kind of like spent a night together? Yeah. No, I, apparently not. Five years is a really, really long time in, the, in according the scale to, of um, a, a courtship or whatever. Exactly. And yeah. according to like what, where Gav kind of interrupts them when they're together, it seems based on what they have presented is that they haven't yeah. even yeah. had a first kiss. Not yet. even. Yeah. That's right. like, it's really it's hard to believe because it. we can feel the sexual <laughs> tension. And then, and then later on, it's like, Oh, nothing's going on. But yeah. yet they're adventuring together all the time yeah. and they wouldn't dream of being apart, uh, but they aren't even taking these basic tiny steps to further yeah. the relationship. This right. is in stark contrast to something like final fantasy eight, yeah, where the romance sure. is just like the most, the highest priority yeah. and all the other stuff who cares. And yeah. this one, it's the opposite. It's like, we're doing all of our responsibility work and the romance can take a back seat. but knowing humans and how they are, yeah. you like, it's not like every second of their life, they're saving the world. Yeah, right? There's right. downtime. There is downtime. Yeah. We like see now. we're experiencing yeah. it now. Yeah. Um, it seems like either the characters themselves are just holding back. They're like, we don't deserve happiness together until the world is at peace or something yeah. like that. Right. Um, which is noble, I guess, uh, although kind of not relevant, <laughs> mm. but I could see them being like that. Right. Because they have this high, important, you know, uh, job to do. Yeah. Um, or I could see the narrative just kind of not giving this the attention that it deserves. And I don't know, um, which of the two decide with at the moment. Um, but it could be that the narrative just doesn't want to have much romance in it at all. Uh, yeah. but I want it. So yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm wanting it. I, it's leaving me wanting. We have Hat here saying five years ago, this channel was called Dark Pixel Gaming. <laughs> Just Lock going, and change. <laughs> going on how how long a time five yeah. years really is, right? And then Michael uh, Pale says that uh, she had not yet mentally healed. All the more reason for them to I know, have to, had... To have, people get clingy when they yeah, have problems. To take solace in each other. Exactly. To support each they other. They need each other more, yeah, you know? Right. Um. Well, that's a, that's not to say that's always what happens. That that could very well be a good um, response. Um, yeah. 
Well, Mick but, says, if so, I think it would have been nice for her to state it out as a reason why she feels like she's not ready to begin a relationship. Sure, and then and Mike maybe says, they but, do later. but that would be good writing. <laughs> <laughs> hey, this game's writing is not that bad. I, I'm not, not going to be complaining about it that much. It's just a funny joke. But that is a, that is a funny joke. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Um, okay, okay, so we've completed now all of the stuff mid needed yes. us to do to build so then the we engine. all help build it then we yep. get the blacksmith to come along he's all upset because his elbow hurts and yep. he's like not as strong as he used to be we build out the whole thing and it's like great let's fly let's take to the skies and yeah. she goes cool now we just need three more just like it and it's like <laughs> wait are you kidding me you mean that yeah yeah well the whole thing needs four it's gonna have like four separate pieces to yeah, it right. so we don't no airship uh, but she's going to go build the rest in Canver with her people there. So she's heading back to Canver now. That's right. Um, and then on the way, they were going to stop by. Sid's, yes. The um, whole memorial. the whole thing was yeah. Otto had sent us to get Mid so that we could all go visit Sid's grave yes. together. And but she Mid dodged working that. On a thing. She dodged that yeah. by creating this need to build this engine that she's been working yeah. on. And now... She's like, well, I just got to do one more thing real quick before she, we go, and yeah. then she just, she just leaves. She's gone. So, so she's no airship avoiding. for a while now. <laughs> like the airship builder has left, and now I'm pretty deflated she's on the whole just airship thing. Totally avoiding going and visiting her father's grave at all. She's not yeah. Ready to do so that. there's a trouble there. It's either that it's too much for her and she doesn't want to cry. That's a sense. Or that she didn't have a great relationship with him, given that we hadn't even heard of her. Um, it's. It could be either of those. I, it could be either or maybe a little bit of both. Um, he was so concerned with saving the world that he didn't take have, care of his family. It could be. Um, mm. I mean, we just don't, yeah, we we'll literally see. just don't we'll know see. at no, all. No, 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 we don't. Because <laughs> they don't say. But, but it could be either. It could be for, he, for sentimental reasons or it could be for uh, she's got something she needs to get over. He does have a line. Sid has a line earlier in the game where he says, um, would it bother... Uh, or would it be, I can't remember exactly what he says. You don't know he's talking about her, but he, he, he's, he oh. mentions uh, would it kill her to write or something like that once in a while, or he talks about someone biting the hand that feeds. What he's referencing is Interesting. mid. His but, daughter, who was probably yeah. like a, the teenager at the time. Sure. Not stoked about dad sure or <laughs> she was in canver studying at the time and was oh, okay. busy and I living see, her I life see. and didn't you know that's what huh. kids do when they leave home and they go to college they stop yeah communicating they stop <laughs> writing to their parents uh you know they're trying to figure things out kind of a thing anyway yeah so interesting okay i, I missed i that. think it could be a little bit of both it could be one that she's not ready to really face it she didn't have time to properly express how she feels to her ah, dad. So that could be her internal yeah. guilt then that like, sure. I never even wrote him a letter in like two years yeah. and then, and now he's dead and I can't talk to him now and yeah. just regretting that. I could see that. Yeah. Something similar happened to me when I was, when I was on my mission, I was in Pittsburgh and this is when my grandmother had died and oh, I had, yeah. I had neglected to like write letters to people while I was out there. Um, but I had written her letter. Uh, I think like two weeks before she passed. And I remember as she, as after I got the news, cause I didn't know it was going to happen. I was just, I was very upset and sad, but I was like, at, at least I got to write her a letter, right? Because I had yeah. always heard, oh, grandma would love to hear from you. And I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, and I was just happy that, that I was able to do that. And I, I would have felt tremendous guilt if you had. If I had not done that, you know, especially hearing that she wanted to hear from me and then me just being like, I don't know. It's like I'm busy, I'm doing stuff. Um, 
and I, I, I'm glad I don't have to carry that burden, you know. Yeah. And, but even if you did, that's not a burden that they would want you to carry. Right. Uh, but people can't help it. You know, you yeah. always want, like, we make such a big deal as humans about, like, last words. Like, oh, mm-hmm. I never got to say goodbye. I never got. It doesn't matter that they knew how you felt and that they, w- what matters to humans is that the last interaction was a positive one. Yeah. I have a friend. His, his father died after they had a huge fight. And then mm-hmm. his father died. Yeah. And it was like, he will never get over that. But, yeah, we make such a big deal about that. And. There's something about that. There's something about leaving on a good note Yeah, that is so important. And people often will say that, too. It's like if you're ever upset at somebody, it's like, hey, if they got in a car accident tomorrow, would you be okay with yeah, yourself? Yeah, you still and that's feel a, this that's, way? And maybe it's, maybe it's a good thing. I'm kind of being a little critical of it. But maybe if, if you choose to live that way, every relationship you have, when you say goodbye to them, think that it's possible you may not see them again. Yeah. Maybe you'd be a better, you know, you'd be a little more gracious to people, sure. especially family and sure. friends and yeah. stuff. Definitely. Uh, so they go without her to Sid's grave. Um, I liked this line that yeah, this Clive says, scene. if no one is listening, he's repeating something Sid had said to him in the past. If no one is listening to what you have to say, you might as well not say it. <laughs> Just go do it, right? And that, that was yeah. in reference to none of these people, none of these you know rulers will listen to me about the mother crystals. So what's the right. point of even talking at this point? Let's just go destroy him. That was kind of right. Sid's what Sid came to, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Clive tells him, tells the grave, Hugo Kupka is gone. His shadow looms over us no longer. Right. Gav says, it's a pity the Phoenix can't be in two places at once. If he had been with us, because Gav was at the hideout when it was attacked, not with, if uh. Joshua had not been with you guys. <laughs> but uh, then Clive wouldn't have survived. But anyway, <laughs> maybe uh, he could have done something for the lost. And yeah. this is where Clive says, mm. not even the Phoenix can bring people back from the dead. I guess what he's saying is too bad he couldn't be yeah. with you and with us at the same time. Two places at once, right? Sure. We sure. must we must live while we have the chance and not as slaves to the crystals, but as free men. Hmm. And so our mission remains unchanged. We cannot stop until every mother crystal is gone and their thirst for ether with them. The only one that remains in Storm is Drake's tail in the Crystalline Dominion. So that's where they're going next. Karen uh, basically says, take goats, goots, with no, you. No, goats. They, they all pronounce his name differently, I'd noticed. Yeah, well, I, I well, think Walud, Karen says Walud, goats. Walud, he says, well, I think it's goots because oh, okay. Walud is spelled with the O-E the same way. Walud. And so this okay, is goots. Okay, okay, okay. I, I just read uh, the name Goethe. I just read that into <laughs> it. Yeah. Uh, okay. So he has one of these traders passes. So basically, um, the 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 Dalmex or is that what they're called, the Dalmekians? Yeah. Um, they basically have been limiting trade heavily, uh, particularly any trade that would benefit the empire. Ah, so they, of course. they they only allow people with these traders passes to go in between. Uh, the Empire and Dalmekia. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Goots has one of these traitors' passes. That's so right. Go yeah. with him, and he'll get you into the Crystalline Dominion, basically. So that's what their uh, their next goal is to head there. So they're going to go from the east of Dalmekia and their or Dalmec or whatever the freaking nation is called, and they're going to go into the Crystalline Dominion. Which tons is tons um, of new quests open up now. Yeah. yeah. I'm not going to talk about them necessarily, at least today. There was nothing that really stuck out to me as like needing attention at this moment, unless you had any notes. Um, from those, no, and I wouldn't say that I've done all of them quite yet. Okay. Um, but I have I, done all of them, but. 
Okay, I did yeah. want to take one more note um, about well, visiting Sid's memorial there. Yeah. And it's not like a grave spot. It's more just like a memorial, right? Yeah. There's a, kind of the sign. Would that be the sign of Rama? I don't really know, but it's like a tree. It's got this kind of like up. Oh, yeah, yeah. The of, sign that's on the rock yeah. there. Yeah. Um, but they put a flower down, right? So Clive puts his flower down. And then is it Karen that shows up as well? And then she puts a flower down or is it Jill? I can't remember who it was. Uh, anyways, there were two flowers that got put down. Um, and there's a scene here. There's two, there's two parts here that I thought were really good. The flowers, all of a sudden a gust of wind blows and it blows the petals of the flowers up. And the camera kind of does this, this big move upwards as the petals kind of are whisked away mm. up into the air, right? Yep. And this is as they're talking with Sid, right? It, it seems a bit odd in some ways, but... Um, it's actually, this is a common theme in mythology. So this is the reason that the Israelites would burn their sacrifices. It turns the sacrifice into something that goes upwards into the air, right? Okay. Up towards the sky. Yeah. Um, so uh, in this case, the flowers are the offering, right? You know, because they're, hey, we came to visit you. We brought you something, right? Mm. A flower. Boom. They put it down. Uh, it's like a flower in the midst of the, what's it called? The blight, the blighted lands. A yeah. flower really stands out, right? It's the hope in the middle of the, the darkness, right? Um, so they put that hope down into the darkness and they put it down, right? And um, the flowers that are the offering um, and then the petals being whisks, whisked up into the air by the wind towards the sky symbolize how their offering was accepted, right? That yeah. It's been accepted up um, by the heavens, right? So the spirit of Sid took them up into the heavens where he resides. At the very end of the scene, after Karen says a word or two to Sid, you know, like speaking to herself, but talking like about Sid, like, oh man, I, I sure wish you were here. Um, the camera kind of tilts up and just kind of shows the sky for a little bit. And that's how that scene kind of ends. Yeah. So they're, they're, um, that's what all of this means. That's what the symbolism of the the uh, petals being whisked up into the air means that it's, uh, you know, the offering is being accepted by the heavens, that, that there is a good force above them that is still active, mm. uh, actively participating in the world. Sid's presence. Yes, and, and his, his presence is part of that, and that spirit, yeah. the spirit of Sid, you know. Okay, so <clears throat> there's a very quick note I have here about there's these two soldiers, at least they claim to be, who were sent to recover this merchant's... Uh, stolen cart by bandits nearby when you first reach uh, Letney's Cliff Cleft. Yeah. You go and kill all them and recover the goods or whatever and they're like, okay, thank you very much for that and uh, be on your way now. We'll (laughs) handle this. (laughs) It's like, well, how are you going to carry these how are you going to carry all this with a broken cart? Like, don't you worry about that. You can just yeah. like F off down the road now. Like, <laughs> um, I feel like this is a quest line that's beginning. We'll probably see these characters again was my oh, note. Okay. They're, they're, they're obviously suspicious. They're not who they're claiming to be. And they had us go murder all these people so that they could get their stuff. I feel like this is going to go somewhere. I feel like this is not the end of that uh, particular I see, thing. Because I, <clears throat> I think it's just a, a, a side quest. It's a green side quest along the way. <laughs> but... Um, I have a feeling that's going to continue. But uh, the really interesting part was when you reach what they call the final sin, which is that big, like, the final waterfall. Sin. Yeah, Zemeckis. Yeah. Zemeckis, the land of the gods. Yes. Uh, yeah, and then the final sin. Now, after playing through this, do you know what the final sin is or was? was the final sin was the human's attempt to that's challenge it. the that's gods. It. Okay, okay. Yeah. Because this is where this whole... Okay, I have a huge note here. 
I thought that it was the name of the chapter, and I was going to the end of the chapter to find oh, out. Oh, gotcha. but it was just the name of that scene. It's the yeah, it's the name of it's the name of okay. I think the waterfall itself. The final sin. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Because that's this was like the location where this battle took place yeah. between the gods. So and this men. is where the Tower of Babel fell. Yeah, right? basically. It's a very cool place. It's beautiful. So yeah, this is Sid talking. Long, long ago, man was overcome by avarice and challenged the gods in a bid to win their power. The final battle took place here at these falls, or so the legend goes. Then Jill says the gods emerged victorious and punished man for his defiance, but by visiting upon him two curses. Mm. And then Clive then speaks back up, dominance and bearers. Yep. It's so very interesting that they give us this information now. Or curses. Right, later on. Well, yeah, earlier in the bears. game, you had uh, basically interpreted Joshua's um, complaining about it not being fair, that only yeah. our family gets the phoenix it's the curse. as a curse yeah. rather than as a boon that as nobody else gets to have. Yeah. And that's exactly what essentially they're saying here. That is. is. The dominance and the bearers are the curses they're that the were curse. given in as a response to men having challenged the gods in this battle. In this battle. But, but the reason why it could be misread is for what Cly Clive says right after this. He says, to tell the truth, I always thought it's strange that the dominance and their icons were deemed a curse. Yeah. Back home, the dominant inherited the throne. They were admired and exalted, not spurned. Whenever I got to that part in the story, I assumed there must have been something I'd misunderstood. And then he talks about how Clive's favorite stories were the epic battles between gods yeah. and men. I yeah. thought that was very interesting. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, woo. I'd love to read some of those stories. Yeah. Um, but of course, we got Tower of Babel imagery here. Um, now, I don't know, is it Babel or Babel? I've heard it both ways. I, Babel for Babylon. Sure how but, they would have pronounced it in ancient <laughs> well, times. Okay. But <laughs> Nobody knows, but the, the common way people say it. I always grew I, up saying Tower of Babel. I, I said Babel growing up. But okay, it's probably Babel. I'll just probably Babel. because, if nothing else, for the, the dumb reason that Babel being um, related to speech, speech yeah, and, yeah. and uh, the languages being confused after Tower this. Tower of Babel. Then the, everyone started babbling at each other. <laughs> I think Babylon means like means like the gates or something like yeah, the gate of God. Right. Um, but okay. By the way, I know that what I just said is wrong. It's just how I thought about but it. But that's as how a, you as remember a it. Seven no, there's an app. There's a language learning app called Babel, and yeah. it, it does. It's yeah. making a play on that right. exact pun you're talking about. Right. right. Yeah. Exactly. So the imagery here for Tower of Babel is there. Um, instead of a tower, it was likely these structures we heard mentioned earlier that blotted out the stars in the sky. I still have trouble visualizing what that was. Was it yeah. a Dyson sphere built around the earth? <laughs> right? Or was it like, uh, I don't know. I just have trouble visualizing what it was. It, was it a, just a tower or did it literally cover the sky? I don't know. Yeah. Um, but the punishment is very interesting. So in the Bible, you have the builders of the tower being scattered into the different nations and languages, right? Yeah. But there's something else to that, right? Each nation developed their own deities. They had their own mm -hmm. gods, right? So for defiance to the one God, the people were then punished by now having to submit to the rule of many lesser gods. Mm. Um, each nation had their own deities. The people in Valisthea, now I'm leaving the Bible, now I'm yeah. moving back to Valisthea, they're being punished by being given these icons, right? Yeah. As a curse, right? Now they have this weird mediator between like the heavens and them, and it's it's these dominants, it's the icons, it's these it's these fallen gods that they have to deal with now, um, instead of like the higher, uh, more transcendent spirits, right? So, um, 
the um, these lower gods are a similar parallel to the 70 nations after the Tower of Babel. These lesser gods, these fallen principalities, are indicative of the Nephilim, which every mm. other game we play, apparently. Yes. Um, <laughs> right. I, I've neglected to bring it up until well, now. People are bringing up a whole bunch of Xenogears images oh, there in the you chat go. here. The, the Tower of Babel from Xenogears. Of course, of yeah. course. So... Every other game we play has some allusion to the Nephilim. It's amazing how that, like, it's like two verses in the Bible. In the yeah. beginning of Genesis, it says, like, there were giants in the land, right? And then it's like, it's, people just can't, like, they, those verses stand out in the Bible more than, in, amidst the sea of, of words and millions of words in the Bible. It's like those two verses, it's like four or five verses, are like so curious that people just explore them over and over in art and in different ways right it's just like wow the sons of god and the daughters of men have this unholy union that produces these giants right and that's essentially what happens here so these fallen principalities that um are essentially the icons right these this curse from the heavens that descends down upon the people uh and that becomes kind of part of the people themselves right so we've talked about this um Okay, so the angels, or the B'nai Elohim, are the sons of God, and they go down to the daughters of men and create this hide- these hideous giants. And we're going to call them icons. <laughs> these things that are going to lead people towards destruction in a flood. Though this in this story, it's not a rising tide, but the blight that is flooding their lands. Yeah, right. They need to sever this connection to these lesser gods and reestablish a connection to the ground of being, to, to the one transcendent ideal, unmediated. Right, but by these fallen principalities that they find themselves surrounded with, this makes the whole idea of destroying the crystals a lot more palatable to me. Mm. Um, when you when you link it up with these stories, and this is this is one of the um, criticisms I have early on. It's a criticism I have of Final Fantasy VI. It's like they create this cool world of magic, and then the whole point in the world is to get rid of all the magic so that you can just live with your gunpowder and technology, and, <laughs> and that's way better than like a world with magic, right? Yeah. And I'm always like, something just feels weird about it. But the idea that it's foreign magic, I mm. keep bringing up the symbolism of the moon here, because th- this the icons aren't, aren't God. They are merely like, <laughs> they are God-like in a way, but they aren't they aren't god like you're you when, when it, like severing your connection to the icons and the dominance and the bearers and the crystals is not severing connection to what meister eckhart would call like the ground of being right yeah. like the actual like truth of of the universe whatever that is um it is instead it's like getting rid of these foreign things that are that are kind of distracting humanity from what uh, what it otherwise could be but not getting rid of magic itself not getting rid of the enchantment itself Mm. per se uh just getting rid of this fallen the fallen angels the fallen principalities the fallen versions of like religion and things that they're always portraying religion so 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 poorly um in final fantasy games and that's at least in part because they're portraying a fallen principality. They're portraying something that has this ideal that it just can't meet the ideal. And it has fallen to the earth and has become kind of the opposite of what it's supposed to be. Yeah. Um, and that in getting rid of that, you can then reestablish a true connection with something that's true and transcendent. As opposed to, because there's obviously magic in this world. Like, it's not like um, this, this would not be an, like a meaningless 
a clump of atoms of billiard balls, <laughs> you know, in, in the world that was created by these developers, right? Yeah. That it's like, you know, there is meaning to be had in the world. Otherwise, there wouldn't be, you know, creating the world to tell the story. The story has meaning, right? And so it's a meaningful world, which means that there is meaning to be found. It's just, uh, it's currently being obstructed by this, like, fallen principalities that are just screwing everything up and, and causing a flood to, to come and destroy everything. So that's... That's what I can read from this whole thing. And I like it a lot. I like it a lot better. Yeah. Well, it makes a lot of sense. And, yeah, I mean, it, I, I actually like the connection you made there, too. Uh, giving more of a justification to this idea of destroying the crystals. Yeah. Uh, when you see the icons and the bearers and the things as being a curse, crystals probably yeah. came with that. Um, because the thing I've been thinking about this whole time is we've destroyed almost all the crystals at this point. Yeah, there's only a couple But it doesn't there. seem to have done anything to reverse the blight. You're right. At You're all. right. Like, yeah. it, it seems like the blight is still cruising on at the same speed as before, even though you have these giant... Or even faster. ...batteries that <laughs> no are no longer, longer operable. ...absorbing the ether. So that either means the other ones are working overtime, or... Uh, that or, or um, Sid is, was wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's what that's what I was wondering. Is like, yeah. is Sid? I mean, Sid had this assumption, and we've already gone destroying a bunch of crystals, and like, it's not changing the result. Yeah, was he really correct? Is what I would be thinking Ooh. if I were Clive. You know what? Uh, this is like Ocarina of Time, where Link goes around, he gathers the three like yeah. jewels, right? And then, and then he shows up at the temple, and then Ganondorf, Ganondorf is like, sweet, you did all the work for me. And then Ganondorf <laughs> takes them all. Yeah. And it's like, it's we're plan. doing this, we're destroying all the crystals, and Sid is like, yeah, we got to do it. And we're like, yeah, we're following Sid. And then we do it all. And it doesn't appear that Ultima is that upset that we're destroying crystals. Right. So we might be playing right into Ultima's hands yeah. by doing but this. But what you're saying is, which I think is right, that this curse of the bearers and the icons, the dominance, right, seems to all be tied in with this whole system that got created and the crystals are a big part of that. The mother crystals are a big part of it too. Yeah. So it's yeah. all part of the same system that seems to have been some sort of curse given right. from the gods after, you know, humankind like defied them or whatever. So, you know. I, I think there is something to that, so I like that reading. Yeah, I'm curious to see where it goes. Now, um, the the next scene I'm going to save for next time because we we actually go back to to the Imperial the Palace. Imperial Palace. I'm going to save all of that for when we cover the Crystalline Dominion and the Bahamut, Bahamut. fight. Okay, good. But I, I do want to just kind of quickly get through the rest of this part here in the desert. Oh, I see. Because there's yeah, not yeah, yeah. like a lot here that I really have notes on. Um, basically Goots's pocket gets picked by some kids. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, Oh no, I don't have my pass. We can't get through. So you got to go do this whole investigation that leads you. Talk to all these kids. Yeah. The, yeah. The, with trade being, um, so closely sort of, uh, watched by the, the Delmakian, leadership now passes. Those passes are really valuable. So there's a whole group of bandits that go around stealing, using kids to go pickpocket and steal these uh, passes, which they then sell, you know, for like a ton of money so people can go across the border. So they're using this kid, these kids for this. You got to put an end to that and get the kids doing respectable work, which is <laughs> shoveling chocobo pins. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, 
they then they get paid half of what they were getting paid to pickpocket, but they're happy because they can still eat, I guess. Yeah, uh, anyway, uh, you, you meet these two new characters, uh, Eloi, Eloi, Eloise and Theodore, brother and sister, who yeah. kind of help you through that. I, don't ju- I just don't have a ton of notes for this section. It's just kind of like, a, oh, no, a wrench got thrown in the plan. We got to go figure this out so we can get across the border. Yeah, yeah. That's I don't really have much to it. say about it than that. Yeah, I don't either. And then we go right back to the Imperial Court. And then we go back more. right back there for some more stuff. Yeah, my so. notes are pretty sparse there. Yeah, I'm going to... Just that Gertz is great, though. I love Gertz. Yeah, Gertz. He's, or Goats, Goots, Goots. I love Goots. Well, he was stoked <laughs> when he found out that uh, Karen was going to send him with us to go buy some more tools or yeah, whatever. Like, he was like, like really? Yeah. I get to go? Oh, great. Yeah, he's yeah, so he's excited. Very and excited. I love how big he is, but he's got a high voice. It's just, I love that. It's he's, fun. He's the, the humble, or what do you call it? The gentle giant character. Yeah. Um, anyway. And of course, a pr- the perfect target to be exploited by these pickpocket yeah, kids. exactly. The gentle giant. Okay, so yeah, we're going to save all of the Crystalline Dominion and Bahamut for next time. Um, there's right. a lot to cover there. There's a lot of story. A lot of Scenes with Dion and Alabella and Olivier and yeah. the Emperor and another one with Joshua and Dion. There's just a lot going on there. So we will talk about that next time. Thanks for watching. Peace out.